You got anything, Dalton? I, I, no. No? Shit, I thought there was something, but... It's twice in a row. Damn. Yeah. Shit, I don't remember. <laughs> no. All right, well, I'll just open in then. We won't do a cold open this time. That'll be the cold open. It's just saying we're not doing a cold <laughs> open. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Rumors and Confabulation. Yeah. <laughs> And our topic today is going to get very, um, we're going steampunk today. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's going to get very interesting. This is a uh, spiritualist still, um, you know, st- still in the same kind of vein, but um, this one takes a totally new twist. One that we have definitely not experienced yet on the podcast. What do you, what do you guys think of steampunk? You two. You have a history with steampunk? Uh, I wouldn't say I have a history, no. I mean... No, I, I mean, Wild Wild West. Yeah, there's that. The Will Smith movie. That's a part of my history. So That's a part that. of America's history. Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah, that was a movie. Yep. Oh, I'm a steampunk guy. All right. Do you like Cowboys and Aliens and Wild Wild West? Uh, no. No, yeah, yeah I guess no. <laughs> I can't say I do. They're not very good. <laughs> I to me I think I like steampunk more in theory than actual like reality. I like the old west stuff more than the Victorian like English aspect of it, I guess. Okay, yeah. Uh yeah. Well, you know me, I'm a sucker for anything west. Yeah. Like old west. So yeah. John, I guess I'm more just thinking like dishonored type stuff or like Carnival Row where it's got a little bit more magic mixed in with it so it's more of like a uh, I do love the aesthetic of Dishonored yeah it's kind of like that kind yeah, of stuff I do like that all and that is more Victorian so I yeah I do have to that is nice cyberpunk now is like it's on the decline cyberpunk it's it's played out it's on the decline you know uh, steampunk <laughs> is sort of the niche thing it is what's the yeah. next punk because they tried to make splatterpunk a, a, a literary genre, and it never went anywhere. Because it sounds what, dumb. What is that? It was just like gory. It was a, it was like a derisive term critics used for this era of writers that were having mm. gore and like American Psycho and stuff. Oh, uh, like okay. This is splatterpunk. Now the thing is dark. Yeah, just a, yeah. I was like, I thought you were wearing a Chick Fil A shirt at first. <laughs> that would be hilarious. No, it's a King Crimson. It's a King Crimson. I know, but at first, like, it was only showing the very top of it. And I was like, it was either the Cincinnati Bearcats logo or Chick-fil-A. And I was like, (laughs) I want to, it would be, it would be a great hipster move to wear only shirts of, like, fast food restaurants. Bob Evans. Yeah. Need a Bob Evans shirt. (laughs) Well, I do want to, before we get, like, really into our topic today, I did want to take a minute. To talk about a couple, some little things that I don't, I don't think I really addressed about a couple of our other topics that we've done recently. Because um, John, I think I totally ignored you. Um, you asked if Krishna Vinta was having sex with underage girls, and I guess I just didn't hear you. But the answer is yes. Ooh. Okay. 
he Krishna Vinta was having sex with underage girls, or at least that's what the rumor was. That's what these guys who eventually suicide bombed him. Yeah, that's what they thought. So I think I remember it, you saying that or something along those edges because I was we were we were all like kids. Yeah, they were they were talking about young girls. And one source I saw was talking about young girls and stuff. And then I looked at another thing after we recorded, and it just much more explicitly stated that they believed that he was having sex with just straight up underage girls. Okay. So there's that. Um, the other thing, Dalton, you know, you're familiar with Ezra Pound? Yes. The modernist poet? Yeah. Yeah, he was a follower of William Dudley Pelly. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I think he uh, actually. I'm. I believe he had like some weird esoteric interests, like like that. Yeah, apparently he actually was like a subscriber to Pelly's like magazines and everything. Wow. Um, the story that I saw was that a friend of Ezra Pound's actually told Ezra Pound to talk to Pelly and stuff, and um, thinking that it would totally deter him from Dudley Pelly because of his, like, totally anti-Semitic views and things. Yeah. And actually, Ezra Pound was just like, this guy speaks it like it is. Wow. And straight up just fell in love with William Dudley Pelly. Yeah. Wait, is, is Ezra Pound, I know one of those guys later on in life became, like, chummy with Francisco Franco? I might be mixing him up with someone else. Yeah, that seems a little, a lot. Well, I do know, though, um, the friend that told him this was Jewish. Yeah. So that's why he was like, look at what he's saying about people like me. Right. I'm your yeah, friend. Yeah. And then he was just like, he actually dumped that friend then and went full pilly. <laughs> he went full pilly. That's a, that's a bad thing when you go full pilly. He was, Ezra Pound was arrested in 1945 uh, on charges of treason mm -hmm. um, because he was attacking FDR and Jews. Right. Uh, so, yeah, those are the two things I just wanted to kind of, yeah, just uh, clear up about our couple of our recent topics. There was a lot to unpack with uh, all of those. So, some things mm -hmm. kind of got lost in the shuffle there. But yeah, our topic today, let's get right into it. John Murray Spear was born in Boston on September 16th, 1804. Oh, we're going nice. back then. Okay. We're yeah. going back. Spear was um on it. Okay, so the t this guy, it's honestly a shame that I have never heard of him. I mean, again, none of us have heard of him, right? Mm -hmm. I've heard of his his sister, Jamie Lynn Spear. It's <laughs> 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 <That's> so stupid. <laughs> but but it's a shame that none of us have heard of John Murray Spear because the guy is actually remarkable. He is the best person that we've talked about for a long time. Best right. as in not a bad person or best as in most interesting? He's best in, well, I'll let you be the judge on interesting, but he's the best in as far as he's not a bad person. And he did a lot of good for society. Okay. He right. actually did a lot of good. He is a minister who was also an activist he was an advocate for both women's rights and he was against the death penalty. This is, and we're talking like in the 1840s and 50s, he's talking about these things. And yeah. most importantly, and his biggest, um, well, women's rights, and he was a huge supporter of the abolition movement. 
He was completely mm-hmm. anti-slavery. He's a Massachusetts guy, though, which, you know, so it's much more common in Massachusetts at that time. But it's still, he um, did a lot of good because he actually helped people, enslaved people through the Underground Railroad in Boston. He actually organized a bit of it. So he actually helped free people. Wow. He And he actually worked with figures such as Frederick Douglass to do this. So he was really involved, incredibly involved. He also was an advocate on the benefits of uh, widespread birth control. Mm. Again, in the, we're talking 1850s. Yeah. He was not judgmental when it came to sex. He fought for the rights of women to have more autonomy on just on every level, but especially on who, when, and where they have sex. He was very against abusive husbands. Essentially. Yeah, it's a good and stance. It's a great stance. And he wanted women to have the right to leave that situation, to get out of that situation, and to just say no. So, he he did so many good things. Man, what a player move, though, that would be, to In that time, to go around and be like, ladies, I want you to be able to have sex with anyone of your choice. that would just man it could be me i mean it it could be anyone it could be me it could be anyone it could be i wouldn't judge you if you gave me a little you know (laughs) well remember that a little bit unfortunately though all of those great things have been completely overshadowed and the reason why he is just not even a blip in our history books by his belief in spiritualism and this belief didn't even start really until the 1840s so he's already like 44 by the time this belief started that's when you hit your peak (laughs) well let's tell the story spear was early on an apprentice to be a shoemaker again a massachusetts cobbler i was getting ready to say this wasn't the first one (laughs) i've seen seen the adam sandler movie all right Well, along with his brother, though, they changed course and decided to become ministers at a young age, and they studied in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Oh, they did it as a team? Oh, that's cool. As a team, yeah, tag team. Priest brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Spears' parents, and he himself, were universalists. Are you guys familiar? Go ahead and enlighten us. Yeah, go ahead. Universalists are, it's a, uh, you know, Protestant belief that eventually all people will be saved and will have a good relationship with God. Like all souls will eventually be collected up. Oh, that's a very optimistic it's a, point. It is the most optimistic Christian stance I've ever heard, honestly. I'm a universalist now. Uh, it's v- very happy. Yeah. His parents and John attended church on the regular. The church that they attended was headed by John Murray, his namesake, who John Murray himself was actually an English-born man who came to America um, and just became a New England staple. Uh, He preached universal love. He also rejected the idea of hell, did not believe in hell. And he had a firm belief that one day everyone's going to be brought into the fold. Wow. And he loved everyone. So John Murray, and that's like, John Murray passed away um at when spear was in a at his young age but his uh mark was very evident 
throughout his entire life. Spear, not a lot is to be said about his like early, early life, but he was, uh, he began preaching at a young age, though, like once right out of, uh, seminary. Yeah. Seminary. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Right out of seminary. And he started preaching in Barnstable, Massachusetts. Wow. He would preach in that area for the next six years. He would then preach in communities such as New Bedford and Weymouth. This was up until 1845. But it was during the 1840s that he would speak consistently and publicly about abolition. And I just, I mean, this is the exact same time frame that, too, like, Henry David Thoreau is, has written Walden and mm. is also speaking about abolition. Uh, same time that Ralph Waldo Emerson has, you know, done self-reliance. And, you know, so he's he's yeah. right there in Massachusetts with a lot of, you know, there's a lot of good, high-minded. boys. Yeah. And John Murray Spear is just right in there. Obviously, his name did not. They all have make three it. names. That's true. Yeah, it's the Massachusetts staple. Well, his um, anti-slavery stuff did not sit well with some of his congregation, even though they're supposed to be universalists. Oof! It's preaching universal love. Yikes! Spear uh, would side with the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society in that they did not accommodate or associate with slaveholding states or those from slaveholding states. Anyone pro-slavery, John Murray Spear wanted nothing to do with. So he was saying, succeed the other way, don't succeed that way. <laughs> yeah, he said, get off my lawn. So Spear actually stepped down from the pulpit in New Bedford because of race relations. An enslaved woman by the name, I kid you not, Dalton, oh, brace no. yourself. Oh, no. And I apologize for the no. offensive language. Her name was oh, Lucy God. Faggins. Pardon? Her name is Lucy Faggins. Okay. Well, okay. That wasn't nearly as... That's not bad. Well, not really? from what I was expecting you were going to say. It's just... Cause I, I think that's I pretty heard, bad for a last name. I heard it twice as Baggins so instead. Bad. We're not going <laughs> Lord of the Rings or Ghost Adventures on this, okay? It is not Baggins. That's, that's how the kids would make fun of her last name. Yeah. Here comes Baggins. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think you got so. Bilbo over here. Well, <laughs> poor Lucy Faggins was a enslaved woman, so there were no school children making fun of her. Well, there there were still. Let's be wow. real. Yeah. Much different aspects here. <laughs> um, she was taken to the area, uh, Massachusetts area, with the family that, you know, quote unquote, owned her. And Spear actually arranged for a process that got her away from the family. I mean, he essentially freed her. He set up a whole legal process that they uh, tried to sue him and tried to get him in legal trouble over this. But apparently whatever he did, whatever machinations he had on this, it was foolproof and he got her her freedom. Nice. I don't know how exactly he did. I guess it's because she was in a non-slaveholding state long enough that he then... She got away. She ran away. It was some loophole type deal probably is what it was. Yeah, that's yeah. actually... Part of the Missouri Compromise, I know, in 1850 was that if a slave, an enslaved person ran from their, you know, masters and they went into a non-slaveholding state, they wanted to be able to return them to their plantation. Yeah, I think it was that like was federal law Compromise. or something. Yeah. 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 But that was, this was in 1840, so right before the Missouri Compromise. So mm. I guess he was able to, yeah, 
wiggles way out of this. Do you think there are school teachers nowadays that are like, okay, guys, talking about the Missouri Compromise, hashtag MoCo. That's how you're going to remember that. Hashtag MoCo. Put that in your notes. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I don't know that I'd be surprised by much. A Twitter things. teacher. That could possibly be the cringiest thing on the planet. Yeah. Hey, kids, I'm the Twitter teacher. <laughs> or the kids, are prob- the kids are probably already moved on to something else besides Twitter. So, like, they'll just TikTok. they'll see it. As, yeah, there you go. That's that's just how out of touch this teacher is. Oh, though. okay. They, that, they, yeah, that makes things no, better. Uh, they're doing, like, 2008 memes. Here I am, the MySpace teacher. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys designed your pages lately uh, who's your number one friend <laughs> oh gee there's gotta be with all the private schools in the country there's gotta be some weird ass family that runs a school like that you're saying the whole school <laughs> is a social media <laughs> campaign <laughs> that um <laughs> Oh, I would like to see that school. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when Dalton makes himself laugh. <laughs> okay, that's it. Oh, oh well. <laughs> John Murray Spear was completely vilified by some of those in his community for quote stealing her away, yeah. and so he just straight up resigned. He gave the middle finger to his congregation and said, I'm out. And during this same time frame, Spear visited and helped prisoners and campaigned against the death penalty and the harsh treatment of said prisoners. So he was like, I don't need the congregation at this point. I've got enough, uh, you know, social actions to take on. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's where he completely turned his efforts. Um, He's actually, and this surprised me. He's credited by some as basically inventing the role of the parole officer. Like someone who checks up on somebody who's once they're out? or Yeah, oh, a okay. parole officer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he wanted to set up systems to help. Oh, uh, oh to make sure people ex-prisoners. are reintegrating. Okay, I think I was yeah. thinking of it the other way. And I was like, okay, now I get you. That's, yeah, that's, that's... No, 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 yeah. He thought that people were being imprisoned for too long and for things that they shouldn't be imprisoned for. That yeah, that was very prescient of him then, because it's still a, a problem in this country reintegrating people. Oh, they're That's probably getting His... given less help today than they were back then. So no, that might be I, true. I mean, the three biggest things that he tackled were women's rights, race, and prison system. Three things that are still being discussed in 2021, yeah. and he is tackling them in 1840. So, things took a turn for John Murray Spear when he traveled to Portland, Maine. It's a place I've been to, uh, again, the International Cryptozoology Museum. Check it out, everyone. Shout out. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird place, I'll give it that. But during an anti-slavery lecture tour that he was doing in December... Now, he decided to go to Portland, Maine in December of 1844. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm not sure why he scheduled hmm. this stop in December. <laughs> but he encouraged the audience to speak their minds after he had his lecture, and they sure did speak their minds. Fuck you! Spear was beaten. <laughs> he was beaten by a group so hard that he was left in a coma. Wow. I'm not sure as the duration, like how long he was in a coma, 
but I do know that it took him several months to fully recover from his injuries. Well, I mean, a coma probably Sheesh. there's a con- con- concussion involved in that, so yeah, he's probably. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> there's significant damage going on here, <laughs> if not like long-term damage. I'll let you be the judge on whether there's long-term damage or not. (laughs) Because when he did finally come to his senses, everyone agreed that Spear came out on the other side a changed man. More and more, Spear was having strange visions of the future, which these visions started happening while he was in a coma. He said the whole time he's in a coma, he's seeing the future. These visions did not make much sense to him until he read the principles of nature, her divine revelations, and a voice to mankind, a book which he called the most wonderful work ever made by mortal man. This work was done by one Andrew Jackson Davis. (laughs) Andrew Jackson Davis is a guy that I think I brought up when we were staying in Mammoth Cave. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was gonna say the name sounds super. Yeah, JD. He, um, I will probably have a full episode about him. We'll have a full episode on him at some point. But he is called the Poughkeepsie Seer. He is like the precursor to almost the entire spiritual movement in America. I mean, his heyday nice. is like the 1830s and 40s, whereas. You know, Edgar Casey was born in the 1870s. You know, William Dudley Pelley was born in the 1880s. You know, like... Shit, that means he right. pretty much predates Blavatsky, too, so it's like... Yeah, he does. Actually, I think Andrew Jackson Davis, um, he actually... I'm pretty darn sure that he uh, talked to Joseph Smith, a Mormon. Well, family. I mean, that wouldn't line right up with it, but... <laughs> I mean, they came from very the like the same area of New York. Yeah. There's, like, one area of New York that is, like, a hub where basically all the spiritual movement, like, began. Mm-hmm. Joseph Smith was right in it. Andrew Jackson Davis was right in it. And, um, yeah, Poughkeepsie. That's why he's the Poughkeepsie seer. <laughs> all right. So back- uh, and Andrew Jackson Davis is, like, he came, he was, like, a broke, like, very poor, very poor kid individual for the longest time and he like just saw a lecture tour or something like that kind of like Edgar Casey, where he like saw the um person going into trance and then was like ah so a light clicked in him and then he was just like i'm a spiritualist i can speak to dead people yeah and he Happened became a legend really dalton yeah when was this it was right it was after i watched corky romano you ever see corky romano with chris Catan? I've never seen it. Chris the Kattan. credits were rolling, and I got up and said, well, I'm a spiritualist. He walked out and started preaching <laughs> on the side like, of Tage Creek. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, Dalton, I hope you'll um, give us a, a lecture sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just tell us which uh, spirits you talk to. Okay. Do they have names? I don't really feel comfortable. Okay. Discussing. Oh, okay. Not on live mic. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you're ready. Go ahead. Whenever you're ready. So back to John Wayne Gacy. Andrew Jackson Davis. No, or John Murray Spear. John Murray Spear. There we go. Well, these two titans met in 1851. This is after John Murray Spear had already started saying that he was in spiritual communication with the dead. Mm. They mostly discussed... The basic equality of all human beings. So again, really good, right? Sure. And Davis came away incredibly impressed with Spear. 
and commended him for his philanthropy. And even privately, Davis told Spear that he needed to open himself up even further to these spirits that are trying to communicate with him. Because he was just touching the surface. He was, he was just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. And he told John Murray Spear, quote, You will meet them. They will come to you. And John Murray Spear dove all in. He put his chips all in. He's a spiritualist. Spear began holding seances. Just like that. He spoke with many dead people. He started the practice of automatic writing. Nice. In 1851, where in this automatic writing, spirits would channel themselves through him to give out a message, as we've already talked about throughout our spiritual fall. This is something very common. He gave also another common thread. He gave speeches about what the spirits we were telling him. Right. One of these dead spirits was his old mentor and namesake, John Murray. He's coming back. Spear we began... We knew he'd be back. <laughs> we didn't really think he was gone from the story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, the <laughs> mega important John Murray. <laughs> well, Spear began losing the support of those he had left in the church. He, basically, the church was just like, you're weird now. <laughs> Those who still liked him, just no. And he, however, he never lost the backing of his faithful daughter, Sophronia. Wow. Sophronia Spear. Sophronia pushed her father even further down the spiritualist path. She said, keep talking. Yeah. Keep doing it. Keep doing it, Dad. Yeah, Keep it going. I mean, yeah, with a name like Zephronia, I just it's like the college girl who's like has mystical leanings. Yeah, she has introduced at least ten other people to a Ouija board. Yeah. At least ten. Like dream catchers everywhere. Oh and, yeah. Oh yeah. And of course she's bragging about she's like, Yeah, I mean my my dad was like one of the fathers of the spiritualist movement, but you know, whatever. Not that that's important. Sophronia's pretty cool, I gotta say. By 1853, Spear was calling himself the mortal mouthpiece of the Association of Beneficients. (laughs) Or he would call them the Electrizers. Oh, that's lame, dude. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's like like he jumped up into the 1970s and pulled something and then jumped back. (laughs) It's the Electrizers. (laughs) This association consisted of souls such as, and are you ready for these names? (laughs) Thomas Jefferson. Oh. John Adams. And his favorite, Benjamin Franklin. Wow. These luminaries had decided that they could not stand by as America failed to live up to its promise. And they needed, the world needed, John Murray Spear (laughs) to act as their, quote, general agent on Earth to correct the direction of this country. These spirits would direct him in many different ways. Some of the spirits directed him towards advancements in uh, medicine. Others in much more social aspects. I found this to be very, very optimistic towards Thomas Jefferson as a moral person. Yeah. Jefferson, according to John Murray Spear, Thomas Jefferson especially railed against slaveholding states. And he said that those who fought for liberty were 
thwarted by a, quote, nation of thieves, and that these leaders are infernal scoundrels who should be, quote, shut up in pits of everlasting infamy. Wow. And he actually pointed out John C. Calhoun as (laughs) one of these people. Shots fired. (laughs) I loved it. But, I, yeah, I mean, I know that there's quotes from Thomas Jefferson who Thomas Jefferson's like, I don't like the practice, but we have to live in the world that we're in kind of deal. So I think, though, this is definitely the most optimistic route of Thomas Jefferson I've ever seen to just where he is just calling them infernal scoundrels. They caught him on a good day. Good day. (laughs) Well, Spear saw a new purpose and he began gathering followers. I mean, you know, like any good spiritualist does. Mm -hmm. You got to have followers. Of course. So they began calling themselves the practical spiritualists. And they actually were, it's so odd, they were infiltrating other spiritualist groups. That's their recruiting tactic, was to get into (laughs) other groups and then start slowly taking over these groups. Well, even though it seems like it requires more work, at least it weeds out. They don't have to worry about being told no a thousand times. They're just like, oh, you're already into this stuff. Come with us instead. Right, exactly. Like, they were going to Andrew Jackson Davis's people. I'm, I mean, I would take a guess and say that at some point in time, Blavatsky was approached by one of these people. Um, they probably picked off a few Mormons. and They probably did, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're gr- just delving straight into all these groups. And they started setting up secret societies within the groups. That's how they sold it, too. They were like, okay, I know that like what we're doing here in this group is really cool and like, you know, we're trendsetting. But there's an even cooler, even more secretive group within the group. And then you come to find out when you're in that group that John Murray Spear is the leader. These secret societies followed the orders. Now they were calling them the Congress of Spirits. Oh, that's pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) Benjamin Franklin, he declared, of course, through Spear, that a device should be made. As Spear called this device, it would be God's last Best gift to man. A grand practical movement for the redemption of the human race. This gift was the new motor. So now, okay, go go ahead, go ahead. No, John. I'm just getting super heavy Bioshock Infinite vibes now because you were going on about uh, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and stuff. And this dude's a spiritualist like doing all that. So that's all I can think of is Comstock and doing the the whole Columbia. It's like Bioshock. It's a non-racist Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's a non-racist Comstock. What he's working with here, he wants it to be a motion device, so it's a free-flowing, it, it's its its own thing. A perpetual motion device? Yes. And that he says, it will have the power to impart its electrical forces to any number of machines. The new motor, or sometimes called the new motive power, will be a living, working mechanism, and will even bear offspring as an entirely oh. new race of self-replicating and self-powering machines. I love this old-timey sci-fi. World. Yeah. He essentially was trying to create a god machine. And this is what he thought Benjamin Franklin and God wanted him to do. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, who can fault him? Who hasn't had the idea sometimes of creating a god machine? I mean, we've machine? all had the thought. He's the one that actually decided to pursue it. 
Right. Right. Now we look silly. Like, why didn't we act on this? So this new machine, Race, would do away with the need for manual labor. And thus, Mm. liberated from this labor, the new motor would bring about the end of slavery and would usher in a new era of people who could now open themselves up to the world at large. They don't have to work anymore. No one ever has to work anymore. The machines are doing the job. So now I'm just picturing the Dwemer instead of... (laughs) Because as soon as you were saying a perpetual motion thing, I just was picturing one of them little balls rolling around and little people pop up and do whatever and then... Oh my gosh. Early game Skyrim, there's nothing worse to fight. Ugh. I love this guy's. I love this guy's thing. And this is like steampunk before steampunk. This is like even like pre Jules Verne and shit. I love this guy's. I love this guy's shtick. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) He really went in a very unique path. This is much more positive of an episode than we normally do. Yeah. (laughs) He he thought too that not so people wouldn't have to work. So now they could open their minds up to just the world around them and not just the world around them, but the spirit world around them. Everyone could become connected to the spirit world, which would also make them connected to the new motor. The new motor would be connected to humans, which would also be connected to spirits. We're all one big connected, happy family. Okay. Oh boy. All of humanity. I was just liking him a minute ago, and then you get into the new motor, and it's like, uh. the the new motor. I'm just picturing it spelled "new" as an "nu" instead of. Oh. oh. (laughs) With that umlaut thing. The new motor. New motor. The theme songs by Rammstein or something. (laughs) New motor. Well, the new motor, uh, yeah, like I mean, like I kind of alluded to here, people could mentally just kind of tap into the new motor, and the sure. new motor, which I was a little confused as to how mentally connecting into this machine would really help us, but I guess it was because the new motor was connected to the spirit world. That's how then we could connect to the new motor, new motor, yeah. But the new motor, he said, would bring out the godlike qualities. In man. Wow. So he's basically just talking like what we see droids and ant or like those Boston Dynamics robots and drones as now taking over shit in the future and like but he's just picturing of an automaton back then. But he's got and he's got a much more optimistic view of it where I personally believe that we're playing we're all playing an incredibly dangerous game with robots. I hate robots. I hate them. I hate them. I happen to like the. I happen to like the new motor, though. I, I am telling you that the future of robots will be entirely sexually driven. Well, I mean that will be the first wave. Well, I mean porn. That porn will... save Blu-ray. So I mean that's kind of or DVD between that and Laserdisc. I mean, so it's like it's like that that that, that always drives <laughs> I thought industry. You just said porn saved Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> I said Blu-ray. Oh, okay. I would be a okay with. Nothing saving the robot trend. It scares me. You don't, don't like the, you don't like don't the AI it. trend. I don't want the AI. I don't want any sort of. Uh, I don't like all the facial recognition. I don't like all the. I don't like it. I don't like the new technologies. Do we need it? Is it making life better for anyone? I think it's kind of kinky. Well, that's weird. <laughs> is it just me, or is the world becoming real kinky? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's just you. Pal. I think there's a lot of people who feel that way. Oh man, that's uh, gonna be my that's gonna be my uh, 
my campaign when I when I run for office. That's going to be my pitch. Uh, <laughs> <world's> just kinky. <laughs> Dalton Rogers for president. The world's getting kinky. Well, he's going to start low, like at school board or something. So it's going to be weird for the first few low positions. <laughs> I'm just imagining instead of like build back better, it's oh, the world will <laughs> is getting kinky on flags. People putting outside. <laughs> I love this guy. He tells it like it is. <laughs> and they get into like graphic detail. You know, we got people out there in leather bondage gear. Dalton Rogers running on the kinky caucus. <laughs> oh, <shit>. uh, <laughs> does this have anything to do with your newfound spiritual powers? No. <laughs> the dead spirit's oh. been making this. He's, he's got he's got multiple plans. This is yeah, that's that's his political aspirations. He's not he's not revealing his spiritual leadership yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, John Murray Spear would go into daily trances for the next nine months. For, so for a full pregnancy, he went into trance, and Oof. this was in order to draw the blueprint and the every you know aspect of the new motor. So he would draw the stuff while in trance. In 1854, construction on the new motor began. Spear and his followers, the practical spiritualists, started to spread the word in, you guessed it, their own newspaper. Yeah. Again, just like any good spiritualist. Yeah. Gotta have your own newspaper. This one's called The New Era. It's a perfect spiritualist newspaper name. That's a good one. Yeah. It's a pamphlet right there. It's huh, before era. before everybody had blogs in their Facebook. It was I'd like a new era uh, in my life. <laughs> if I follow these instructions, I can start a new life. <laughs> and then the piano k- kicks in. Doo, 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 doo. And the guy walks from behind a tree, and that's how the infomercial begins. Well, the new era paper detailed the construction of what they called his electrical infant. (laughs) (laughs) And soon, many spiritualists were coming to check out this new strange project. Among them, John Murray Spears' uh, old buddy, Andrew Jackson Davis, who wanted to see what he's up to. Davis came away feeling that something had gone horribly wrong. He recognized the new motor as a spirit-inspired thought, but he thought that Spear was getting all of the details wrong, and this was going to be to the detriment of the world. Andrew Jackson Davis believed that Spear had actually gone mad and was twisting the words that were coming to him from the spirit realm into his own perceptions. Instead of just taking what was given to him, he was saying, oh, so this is what you mean by it. So he's taking advantage of his supernatural powers. Yeah. So what Davis saw in Spear was actually, as Davis said, was a crazed cult leader. And Andrew Jackson Davis came away legitimately frightened by his old friend. Like, I mean, you know, he had said earlier that he is a great, great guy. He loves him. And now he's yeah. scared of him. The aspect- It's like somebody you've been around like dozens of times and then finding out somehow that they like Transformers 2. 
And then the next time you're around them, it's like, uh, there's something different between us now. I feel like you're referring to somebody. But... Not really. No. Just, just in general. <laughs> if I was going to refer to a movie like that, I would have said, um, the, what was the new Alien movie that Jake liked? Uh, I, can't, I can't remember. Alien Covenant. Covenant. Well, there's one particular aspect that truly frightened Andrew Jackson Davis. This aspect was what John Murray Spear called the Mary of the New Dispensation. Sarah Newton was the wife of one of the practical spiritualists and had newly taken on the role as the New Motors' mother after visions. So she, she, she's was gonna having, get. She's said, gonna give birth to the electrical infant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm mommy around here now. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm your mommy. Why is she talking like a baby? <laughs> She's know. the mom. <laughs> She's not that bright, really. <laughs> well, at this point, Sarah moved into the... So, he was building this in, like, a cottage, okay? The new motor. And it's now, like, cottage turned laboratory. I mean, we're talking, like, full, like, Frankenstein-level... Yeah. Like, I'm Tesla, like, props. that kind of... Yeah. Because this is pre-Tesla, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is pre-Tesla and Edison. So he's got a little laboratory in his cottage, and construction was taking place in order to maintain, while with Sarah now, so Sarah had to stay in the laboratory in order to maintain an umbilical link with the motor. Mm-hmm. In this lab, Spear... (laughs) Things are taking a really weird turn now, guys. Spear, Sarah, and other followers would make daily efforts to charge the machine to infuse it with life. There's no... Just say it. There's evidence which would lead us to believe that they were having orgies on top of the motor. In order to charge this thing. How is this thing shaped? Yeah, that's what it comes down to. So, yeah. A lot of 10W30 and stuff used as engine grease and <laughs> a lot of lubricants around. No. No. Andrew Jackson Davis came in and was like, my, my eyes. <laughs> I've seen too much. He got out of there. And now, once they sufficiently charged the motor, Sarah Newton went into labor. (laughs) It was time. It's time, everyone. Andrew Jackson Davis actually came back and he was in attendance for her labor. After around two hours of painful labor, Sarah was literally writhing around for two hours next to the motor. She reached out and touched the motor saying that she has now given birth to the new motor. And it is said that the inner motor of the new motor, the heart of it, started to move at this moment. Spear and the practical spiritualists were seeing the realization of their dreams coming to life. (laughs) The new motor was revving up. The god machine was in effect until suddenly it went silent and never moved again. So Spear took this as a win. He was very optimistic. (laughs) These these people are so weird. I feel like I'm like lagging behind. It like I can't. My mind can't accept how strange some of these sentences sound. I I don't know. The entire time you were doing that little build up about the inside of it, all I could think of was that Scar Symmetry song. (laughs) 
And then you're just like, it's done. Scar symmetry. As soon as you said godlike machine, that's all I could think of. It was just that that riff just building Uh, up. That's that's a great melodic death metal track. Yeah. Man, Scar symmetry really went downhill after Christian Alvestan left. Mm -hmm. But that's a story for another day. That's a hot take. (laughs) Any any melodic death metal fans out there, you know what I'm talking about. Spear, like I said, he took it as a win, but um, Davis, Andrew Jackson Davis, he didn't. He left, and he said that the win that they were having was simply the power of suggestion upon his followers. And Davis actually wrote about what he saw, everything that he saw, in the spiritual telegraph. Yes. Yeah, which was seen by all spiritualists. And soon enough, Spear became a public humiliation. He was getting mocked by spiritualists. I mean, and when you're mocked by the spiritualists... Oh, yeah. You're getting into, like, the ventriloquist type of territory. I mean, people people now are afraid of getting exposed by, like, TMZ or Perez Hilton or whatever, but the spiritualist telegraph back then could smear anyone. It, that was, I mean, you might as well who, just... Who, what do you think happened to Fatty Arbuckle, <laughs> the spiritualist telegraph? <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, Fatty. Well, R.I.P. One name that you guys might recognize that comes into the story at this point is P.T. Barnum. Oh, hey, P.T. The great fraudster himself. P.T. Barnum called the new motor a big old humbug. That damn thing's a big ass, big ass old, big ass humbug. <laughs> P.T. Barnum said, "If this ain't, if things like this are going to happen, the ladies will be afraid to sleep alone in the house if so much as a sewing machine or apple core be about." <laughs> okay, wow. chill the fuck out, Barnum. <laughs> uh, well, Spear wasn't going down though, and uh, he moved the device to New York because it was in Massachusetts at the time. Because he said, as we talked about briefly earlier that new york was like a hub of the spiritualist movement yeah. it was Cooks. a yeah. he said it had superior magnetic energies new york sure. did. yeah so this was a bad idea because uh one night a group of young men broke into the small compound that they were starting to make i mean we are actually in full cult territory at this point Really? Spear yeah, had like... really great. He had a commune at this point. I think we were back at it back when they were having orgies on top of the machine. That's, well, yeah. Because yeah. the, the woman had to live in the house with the machine, so. Yeah, that's true. I think it's when he started to build the machine is when he went full cult leader. Yeah. I mean, they actually, they actually built something. That they, they, they had infrastructure. There, but there I was... think the orgy thing, really, I think if, if, if you really start to pick up on and exploit the fact that you can use your position of power to get pussy, that, that's a good way to start you down the path. For real. I mean, I wasn't, like, kidding. Building a motor and having someone be that's mother and having orgies yeah. to power the motor? Right. Yeah, <laughs> foolproof. so (laughs) a group of young men broke into their compound and they tore out the new motors copper heart oh my god and they threw the rest of the machine into a pond oh that'd be so great if we could find which pond it was up there now but there's like thousands so there's no way in fun you can find it no well i'm pretty sure what happens at the end of short circuit 2 they rip his heart out and then throw the robot in a pond what the heck is short circuit (laughs) 2  
<laughs> it's an 80s kids movie short circuit. You've never heard of it? No. Oh, Who's man. in it? People are like, uh, there's a, maybe Steve Gutenberg. It's it's just like an 80s thing. Short circuit. They're a little robot. No. And there's a guy in like, there's a white guy who plays an Indian character really Like bad. Krishna Vinta. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's short circuit. All right. Shout out short circuit too. <laughs> well, people did have their suspicions though about this uh, destruction of the new motor. In November of 1854, Scientific American newspaper wrote, <clears throat> I'm going to get my push up the glasses. We do not believe a word respecting a mob breaking into the building and destroying the spiritual machine. We are of the opinion that it was broke by the crafty author of it, whose schemes had come to the exact point of exposing his ridiculous pretensions. So yeah, they think John Murray Spear did it. Which You've been exposed. Maybe he broke his own machine just to... Honestly, it is plausible. Because he was a humiliation at this point. He was gaining nothing. The machine obviously was not working, no matter how many no. times they had sex on it. It just wasn't... It was a lot. <laughs> which I guess was a lot. A lot. It just wasn't working. He just had to trash it and then say somebody else broke it. And then no one can find the machine... You know, it's gone. It's gone. Do you think he used that to, like, introduce new things into his sex life? Like, maybe to charge the, uh, uh the, the Bleep! <laughs> <laughs> What's the thing called again? <laughs> the new motor. Maybe to charge the new motor, you have to lick my taint while standing <laughs> on <laughs> Like, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how to get it to work. Maybe if you lick my taint, that'll activate it. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> it might have my feet. Why not? That's the first place my mind would go. Either that or it was the world's first flashlight. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that sounds... Moving on, John Murray Spear was still speaking with spirits. Uh, he had a business card which read, Guided and assisted by beneficent spirit intelligences, Mr. Wow. S will examine and prescribe for disease of body and mind, will delineate the character of persons when present or by letter, and indicate their future as impressions are given him, will sketch the special capabilities or sorry, capacities of young persons, applications to lecture or hold conversations on spiritualism will be welcomed. That was all on his business card. Like, was his business card a side of a 3x5 postcard, or was it like a business card side? <laughs> I don't know. I just saw a business card. <laughs> what a 1854 Pull, business card Pulls out like. a little scroll, and it's just like one of them, <laughs> one of them town crier things. Just. <laughs> well, these spirits began to urge the practical spiritualists, and whoever would still listen to Spear in 1850 says, 1857, to just practice an unabashed free loving. Yes, here we go. <laughs> so this coincided with the dissolution of his marriage because he was still married. Of course. Got the whole new motor Gotta get orgies. back out on the market, mm. ladies. Free love. So it became known to the public eventually that Spear was having an affair with a women's rights activist, Caroline Hinckley. Yeah. Hell yeah, bro. 
1859, they had a son together. Yikes. Oof. I take it back. Which, he was born in 1804. So that means he's 55 years old now. Yeah. And she is... I'm not sure how old she is. 13. By the way, um, he was having the affair... Then got divorced while after having the affair. Um, he was married to Betsy. He was married to her for 32 years. You know, I, I, I just for some reason thought it would be funny. What if there was a father who had a child at a wedlock like that and they were like friendly, they remained on good terms and like went to functions together, but he still always, if he was referring to him, called him his bastard son. <laughs> Just dragging him along. He's talking to a friend of his, like, who's that? He's like, that's my bastard son, Alex. I think Dalton's just projecting his own life onto everything. He just said that as a term. Like, it wasn't an insult or a judgment. Just, it is what it is. Yeah. Now, that means that this little kid suddenly... He's got Sophronia, who's probably like 30 at this point. That's a big sis. Sophronia, I'm glad she's back. Well, that'd be a half-sister at that point, so I guess, but yeah. Yeah. I don't, I want to know what happened to Sophronia. I didn't get any clarification on Sophronia. She probably went off and started her own She definitely had a lesbian phase at one point. Oh. Definitely. Girl named Sophronia, come on. Well, I wonder if she supported her father throughout all of everything that he went through. All of his ideas. If so, she's into the... Free love. That, or Absolutely. she went off and started her own branch or something, and that just didn't get Honestly, any notoriety. She might have. She just started her own uh, commune, and it was quiet enough that didn't know it didn't make the papers. I think John's got the heart of yeah. it. Yeah. I think that's it. Well, uh, they were actually, Betsy and um, John were still married up until 1863, even though the son was born in 1859. Mm. But they wow. finally got a divorce, an official divorce, and then he married Caroline. The women's rights activist who he had a son with. Yeah, he, so he actually, and he actually did. Along. Jesus, sorry, Dalton. He actually did recognize him as his full, his full son. Yeah, that's so. nice. These two, John Murray Spear and Caroline, traveled around England, giving lectures, performing spiritual healings, and holding seances until they came back to America in 1873. So for the better part of a decade, they were in England. Doing the shenanigans. So he basically just skipped out on the Civil War in the first part of Reconstruction. It was like, nope. (laughs) Yeah, essentially. So they lived for a short time in San Francisco when they got back. Then they moved to Philadelphia. And this is in Philadelphia is when Spear officially retired. He had no more love to give. And John Murray Spear passed passed away a very quiet death in Philadelphia in 1887. And I want to leave John, the John Murray Spear story. I want to leave things with a quote from John Murray Spear when, once he hit retirement. Okay. Dearly have I loved the work in which I was engaged. I've been helped to see that beyond the clouds there were round about me, there was a living, guiding, intelligent, beneficent purpose, the elevation, regeneration, and redemption of the inhabitants of this earth. And there he passes away. You know, to hang out with Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 83 is pretty decent for back then. Oh, yeah. No, he lived a good long life. Yeah. Despite being in a coma and... Um, yeah, I had... Man, yeah. You know he probably had an SDI at this point. Oh. We can only hope. <laughs> I mean, it's, he probably got one. Oh, never mind. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> got, just think of the rust. The rust yeah. That's how he got tetanus and. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, God. Te- yeah. Tetanus as an STI is just a wonderful thought there. <laughs> <laughs> so, that does it for uh, the new motor. What do you guys think? This is our kinkiest episode. Still one of our most positive episodes as well, at least the first part of it was. Yeah. And that's the thing. He did so much good. He really legitimately helped, actually helped people until he went crazy. (laughs) I don't know that he really ever harmed anyone because he didn't like, he wasn't one of these cult leaders that forced people to do things. It was all consensual. Everything that happened was, you know, uh, agreed to. But it's crazy. Wow. That's our first steampunk episode, though. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Our first steamer. <laughs> That's when we were talking about it, I looked at you guys and I was like, why don't we do a steamer episode? <laughs> and we all knew. <laughs> the new motor. Yeah. We the new steamer power. Are we, are we going to drop that steamer app? Yeah. <laughs> We got we got Steamer Pod coming for you guys. I fucking hate that when podcasters say pod like that. Like the, mm. a segment happens and then one of them one of them's like, "Ah, oh, that was some good pod right there." Like, oh, like <laughs> just cringe all over. I don't think I've ever heard that. Before. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, man. Wow. Well, let it me tell painful. you, that was some good spiritualist pod. That was some good pod. Good pod. That was a good pod. Now we good need pod. to start doing that. That would be funny yeah. as shit, good actually. Good pod. Good pod. <laughs> Try to remember that. Very informative. Very yeah. informative. <laughs> RNC is not oh. a good pod. <laughs> so, yeah, that does it for Rumors and Confabulation. Follow us on Instagram. <laughs> you know the drill. Do all that stuff. Leave us a review. Like us. Uh, comment. Tell uh, your talk friends. to us. Uh, I thought you were going to tell them about the Quentin Tarantino collab. That we, but I guess we didn't want to give away too many details about that. Yeah. We don't want to give away too much. We don't want to. Yeah. All right. See you. Peace. Yeah. <laughs> love, everyone. Universal love. Peace and love, peace and love. Go get jiggy with a motor. <laughs>